0: Thanks for listening to the Greenery Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Greenery Church. Hello, everyone. My name's Asher, and I have the privilege of sharing a message with you today. It's the last message in our series on We Can Know Jesus, which is a wonderful topic for a series. Uh, preaching about Jesus is just about the uh, uh, easiest and most difficult thing you can do at the same time. It's kind of a big, big topic, big subject. Uh, I'm going to pray before we start because I like to do that before I preach uh, anytime. And so I'm going to do that and then we're going to get into it. So Lord, thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, that you're with us in the different spots that we are doing church today throughout the city and throughout the region and throughout the world. Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to every single person who is listening today. And I really do believe you have a word for everyone, God, that you can speak to us all as one body, and you can also speak to us individually at the same time. Uh, We just thank you that you can do that through the work of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, would you come and do that in this time? Amen. So I want to start off with a bit of a story. Um, Well, it's not so much a story as an observation. It's a difference between me and my wife, and there are many differences between me and my wife. One of those differences comes when we're packing for holidays. Now, my wife Sky is very thorough, and she packs for every single occasion and every single instance, which means that we have a lot of stuff by the time that she's finished packing. Because she's not just packing for me and her; she's also packing for our four children. Now, I'm more of a minimalist when it comes to packing. I tend to go for just the basics, just what I need. So, you know, toothbrush. Change underpants, clean shirt, that'll do. Now, if I was solely in charge of packing for our family, this would make for a very miserable family holiday experience. It's probably good that we have the two of us together. We've worked out a system, you see. Sky does the first pack and puts in everything. And then I get it for a bit of a color and edit. And I work through it until we're left with only what we can't do without. Now, this experience that we're going through with coronavirus. It's been a little bit like that. See, bit by bit, things have been taken away from us. Now, for some of us, it's been really difficult. There's been loss of income and loss of jobs. And then there's been other things too, like the schools have closed and then we can't go to restaurants and then can't visit grandparents. And then we can't pretty much see anybody except the checkout person at Woolies or Coles. And that's it, bit by bit. We've been taken down to only what we can't do without. So we've kept things like you know groceries and medical care and that sort of thing. But interestingly, as things have gone down and down and been narrowed and narrowed, it's really become apparent that there is something else that we simply can't do without, and that is relationships. Now, I don't know about you, but the slower pace of the pandemic has uh, been relatively easy to adjust to. For me, I've enjoyed slowing things down. But the lack of relationships has not been easy to adjust to. And that is because we were made for relationships. It's something we simply can't do without. When we don't have meaningful relationships, we develop this awful condition called loneliness. Now, loneliness is a nasty thing. Loneliness damages our value. It amplifies our pain and it can extinguish hope. And loneliness is even more widespread than the coronavirus. In fact, the Australian Loneliness Report, which was conducted a couple of years ago by the Australian Psychological Society, found that one in four Australians experienced loneliness to a degree that caused them significant distress. One in four. Now, this study was completed in 2018. That's two years before the social isolation measures were in place. So these are people like you and me reporting symptoms of significant loneliness. And this was when we were still busy doing the things we were doing. Interestingly too, this report indicated that loneliness was prevalent even in those who were engaged in meaningful employment, even in those who were engaged in relationships, who were married or partnered up with those who had children. Loneliness was a common problem across the board for most Australians. One in four, pretty significant. Now, Mother Teresa actually made a similar observation from her work in the slums of India. Now, this was a lady who uh, lived in a place that regularly experienced epidemics of HIV, tuberculosis, and leprosy. But she said that loneliness is the epidemic of our world. Of all the physical suffering that she saw, she felt that the suffering of loneliness was even more severe. See, loneliness points to our most essential human need, the need for meaningful and deep connection with others, something we simply can't do without. Way back in Genesis and the beginning of all creation, when it was just Adam wandering around naming a bunch of animals, God said this about his newest creation. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, I don't want to use this text to... um, Make an argument that everyone needs to be married. In fact, the Bible clearly says that that's not the case. The Apostle Paul gives some strong arguments for this, and the Bible itself is full of examples of great Christian men and women who were single but not lonely. Rather, my point is that from the moment humans were created, we were made for relationships, we were meant to be connected with each other. And throughout the history of, uh, of of history, throughout all of history, um, we can see God's intention for us to be in meaningful relationships. If you read through the Old Testament of the Bible, God created all these institutions of marriage, of family, and of community in order to facilitate this. And the traditions of the Jewish people had many um, celebrations and festivals that facilitated the building of community because to be connected is key to being fully alive as a human. This connection to each other, that's only the half of it because if relationships with each other is enough, if that is all that we need, just meaningful relationships with each other, then why can we still be lonely in families, in friendships and in our community? What I believe is that there is a deeper connection, a deeper relationship, which if left unfulfilled, will always leave an ache of loneliness in our hearts. And that connection is our relationship with our God. Because as good as human relationships can be, they only point to the ultimate relationship that we were made for, that we were designed for, and that is our relationship with God. Friendships point to this relationship. Marriage points to this relationship. Parenthood Points to this relationship. The fabric and design of every relationship points to our greatest and deepest relationship, our relationship with our God. We were all made for this. It's the cure to our loneliness. It's the cure to our loneliness. We're going to look at the Gospel of John. Now, I love the Gospel of John. One of the reasons that I love this book is the way that it takes basic human needs like water, food, light, birth, everyone needs to be born, um, to show that they are only reflections of a deeper, more essential human need. So it's this theme all throughout the Gospel of John. Take a basic human need and illustrate how that points to a more deeper, more essential human need, the need for relationship with Jesus. For instance, in John 6, after Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with a boy's packed lunch of bread rolls and fish, a whole multitude of people start following him. And at this, Jesus does a funny thing. He turns around and rebukes them and says to them that rather than following him because they got their fill of bread, that they should follow him to get their fill of the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In verse 35 of chapter 6, we read, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is making the point that more essential than our hunger for physical bread is our need for relationship with him. I'll use a... less biblical example now, just to illustrate this point. Now, there is a particular takeaway fried chicken restaurant, which I enjoy eating at. Um, In fact, I enjoy eating at any fried chicken restaurant, just to clarify that. But there's one that's close to me. And sometimes when I go riding past on my bike, I can smell the chicken being fried. It's like they've got a fan set up behind the the deep fry, just wafting it out the window, trying to entice me in. And every time I go past and inhale it, I feel the impulse to run in and order some of this greasy fried chicken. But here's the thing, when I go and do it, I find it deeply satisfying when I'm eating it. But not long after, in fact, probably you can set your watch to it about half an hour later, I feel really ill from the amount of oil that I've just ingested. And then after that sick feeling's passed. I actually feel really hungry again because the cheap, greasy takeaway chicken never actually truly satisfies my hunger. Now, our hunger for our relationship with our God, with our King Jesus, is just like this. Other things in life, like work, possessions, appearance, and even relationships with others, can satiate our hunger for a moment, but it never gets rid of that deep, dull ache of loneliness that only a relationship with Jesus can fill. You can be happily married. You can have tons of adorable kids. You can have tons of friends. You can have tons of adoring followers on your social media and still be deeply lonely because no one can connect with you and know you and love you like your God can. We simply can't do without it. We're going to flick back a couple of chapters now in John, from chapter 6 to chapter 4. And I want to look at another story where Jesus points out a basic human need to underline or underscore a deeper human need, that need of relationship with him. Now, the context of this story is that Jesus and his disciples are passing through an area of the country called Samaria, which is a place that was a bit taboo for Orthodox Jews because it was a place where the Jewish people and people from other nations had intermarried. Now, they'd been walking all day, and so they're hungry and thirsty. And so Jesus' followers go to get some lunch in town, and Jesus decides to um, take a rest by the well near town. And we're going to read this text from chapter 4, John chapter 4, from verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Ouch. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Well, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. Incidentally, the use of the word woman is one of deep affection in the the text. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? It is Jesus, after all. Then, leaving a water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. There's so much to love about this story, and we could spend time going off on lots of paths here, but I want to focus on this analogy of living water. Bear in mind that when Jesus was talking about living water, he was actually talking about relationship with him. Now, he knows this lady's relational history. He knows that she's been married five times and is currently in a relationship with uh, someone else that she's not married to. Uh, Clearly, relationships are not working out for her. Whatever she is looking for in a romantic relationship, she's not finding. No human relationship has satisfied the deep ache of loneliness in her heart. And then look at what happens when Jesus drops the bombshell on her. In verse 26, after spending some time trying to tell her who he is, he comes straight out with it. The one that she's been waiting for, her God and saviour, I am he. And look how she responds. There's no questioning of the fact. There's no arguing the point. It's like at this moment, she takes a big drink of an actual real relationship with God. And what's her first response? To drop her water jug, run out and tell everyone that she's found Jesus. Let me tell you, when you experience a relationship with God for the first time, you too will drop everything and rush out and share the good news with everyone you possibly can. You simply can't keep it to yourself. And this makes sense because if you experience something that completely satisfies you, then you do not need to keep it to yourself. You are completely satisfied. Someone else experiencing what you have will not threaten how satisfied you are with it. You have already drunk of the water, which stops you from ever being thirsty again. Now this is for you. This thirst-quenching relationship is for you. Wherever you are and whatever you are going through, you can know Jesus. You can experience the cure to your loneliness. You can experience what you were always intended and made for a complete, unbroken relationship with your God, Jesus. It's an offer for you. If you have known him for a long time or not, it is for you. If you have never met him, it is for you. Even if you've walked away from him, it is for you. Right now, the offer to be in deep, connected relationship with God is there for you through Jesus. Right now, a relationship that satisfies you like no other relationship can. The one thing you simply cannot go without. And even better is this. God has not made it complicated for you. I'm going to illustrate this point with one final picture. Now, my work days, they run on appointments. I have six or seven one-hour slots a day uh, that I see clients in. And my clients are predominantly children. So if a child would like to see me, there's a bit of a process they go through or that their parents go through to organize it for them. It involves talking to their doctor and getting a referral to see me. Then it involves ringing up the office and finding a time in the calendar that works for both them and for me and booking it in. Then they come into the office. Then they've got to fill out some paperwork. And then they've got to sit and wait in the waiting room until I'm ready to see them. And then finally, we get to meet. However, if you are one of my own children, the process is much different. My own children do not have to waste. My own children do not need to book in an appointment time. My own children do not need to fill out any paperwork. If you are one of my own children, then I am already with you. All you need to do is turn to me. I'm already there. The process for my own children is as easy as possible. Why would I make it hard for them? Why would I make it complicated? I long to be with my children. How much more has our God made the process as simple as possible for us to be with him? God has literally moved heaven and earth to make it easy for you to be with him. His children do not have to book in a time. His children do not need to fill out paperwork. For his children, God is already with you. All you need to do is turn to him. Why would he make it complicated? He longs to be with his children. Today, I'm not saying that relationships with other people are not important. And especially right now, we need to be deliberate about connecting with each other. We need community. However, beyond that, We will never truly beat that ache of loneliness until we connect with the one who we were ultimately made to be in relationship with. And it's as simple as asking him to meet with you. Right now, wherever you are watching this, right now, whether or not you've ever spoken to him before, all you need to do is put everything down, quiet your soul and ask him to meet with you. I guarantee you, he will rush to meet you there. Don't struggle through your days deeply dissatisfied and lonely. Before you move your feet out of your bed, ask him to meet with you. Before you walk into your office, ask him to meet with you. Before you come home to your children, before you fight with your spouse, before you fret over your social media, Before you do anything, ask him to meet with you. He is ready and eager. Drink deeply of that relationship with him. Let it satisfy your loneliness. Come back to how it was always meant to be. Have what you were never meant to live without, a relationship with your God a relationship with your Jesus. I'm going to pray. God, I thank you that you desire to be with us, Lord, that that was part of the whole design was for us to be with you in relationship with you. Jesus, I thank you for all that you have done to make that possible. And right now, ever we are at, Lord, I ask for those who want to meet with you who want that deep relationship with you, right now, Lord, would you meet with them? And whatever you're doing there on the other side of this screen, I'd encourage you to quieten your soul, reach out your hands if you're comfortable, and invite Jesus to meet with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness and that we were made for a relationship with you. Amen. Mm